It's Wednesday evening, and the big story of the day is OU football canceling their player Zoom media availability earlier this afternoon. So far this season, about four to five players have talked on Zoom around noon on Wednesdays, but not today. It was canceled with about an hour's notice. No reason was given, but a Tuesday story by the OU Daily, Oklahoma student newspaper, is reportedly the reason for the cancellation. Garen Emig of the Tulsa World reported on Wednesday today that OU, quote, punished the entire OU beat by canceling Zoom interviews because of the OU Daily story, end quote. And Emig reported the decision wasn't made by Lincoln Riley or even Joe Castiglione, but the issue went up higher to OU President Joe Harris against the student newspaper. Very interesting developments going on here. So what was the story about? You all have probably heard, but I'll recap it here. Mason Young and Austin Kurtwright are two students at Oklahoma, and they wrote the story. It's a very good piece of journalism, and I tip my cap to these young guys who are just getting started with their journalism careers. Now, according to their story, the OU Daily was able to watch practice on Tuesday from afar and deciphered that Caleb Williams outsnapped Spencer Rattler 15-7 to during the pre-stretching portion of practice. Then later in practice, Williams was primarily throwing passes to the top receivers while Rattler threw mostly to the backups. Now, I go down to Oklahoma every Tuesday for the weekly news conference, and it's very easy for me to stop inside the Oklahoma football building and watch practice. But I can't do that because there's always a security guard there to make sure people keep walking. Fine, I get it. That's Oklahoma's policy. Now, this Tuesday, I I lingered a bit a little bit longer than normal, just to look to see if Spencer Rattler was out there amid rumors that he might not be. And alas, there was Spencer, out on the practice field when I walked by. Now, obviously, Mason and Austin didn't watch practice from that spot. They found a different spot with a view of Oklahoma's practice fields with nobody around. Good on them. See, but it's not just the practice report that made this a good story. Mason and Austin, they did some more journalism they reached out to Spencer Rattler's dad, Mike. Now, here's what Mike Rattler said, according to the OU Daily's report, quote, for right now, Spencer is focused on working for this team, and we'll see what happens after January 10th. Hopefully, he'll be playing in the national championship on January 10th, and then after that, we'll evaluate where he is as far as if any teams are interested in him in the NFL. We'll consider that. Rattler's dad continues from the OU Daily story. If we think, hey, you know what, we may ought to do another year or something at Oklahoma, wherever, we're leaving our options open. Or as that is concerned for the most part right now, we don't even talk about it because he's got a task at hand to deal with, end quote. Getting Spencer Rattler's dad on record gives this story that extra oomph of credibility. And once again, kudos to Mason and Austin for doing the work to get that. We knew this week was going to be really interesting. And it has been. So let's talk more about it. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. All right. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Joining me as always, a man who I don't have an interesting intro for today. (laughs) That man is Grant Benson. Can you tell that I'm unprepared? I can, but that's okay. I am too. It's all good. It's been, I finally, I finally recovered from Saturday in Dallas. It was like two days afterwards where I just, I just didn't have anything. It was all gone. My voice. Well, we got it out there. Yeah. yeah. Fun yeah, time. You, you definitely sound a little bit better. 
Uh, and you know, we we kind of sped through that Texas game. I you know, I went back and rewatched it. I have more thoughts on it, which we can get into when we do our three word reviews. We didn't do three word reviews last time. We're gonna do that here. I know I said at the start of the show, but since the most important slash interesting thing is the quarterback situation at Oklahoma, we're gonna start with that, and we're gonna we'll do that. We'll do three word reviews. Then we will look ahead to TCU, and I will let you all know right now. I didn't have it in me to do a bunch of TCU film. I just didn't have it in me. The Texas rewatch was more kind of interesting to me, and obviously everything going on with with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. So I will let you know off the top of the show. My TCU look ahead is not going to be as in depth as it as it has been in the past, but I think that's okay. If TCU sneaks up and beats Oklahoma and bites Oklahoma, then that's on the Sooners because. The offense is pretty darn good, but the defense is weirdly bad for TCU. But we can talk a little bit more about that later in the show. Let's start with Grant. Uh, my opening take was about the OU Daily story, and I saw that come out on Tuesday. And I, gavel, I give a lot of credit to those guys for breaking that story. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's a student newspaper. They have credibility. Fine. I wasn't quite sure, though. But then Oklahoma canceling media availability for the players on Wednesday, even though that either has nothing to do with this story or it could have everything to do with the story. There's some circumstantial evidence there that makes it kind of seem like canceling media availability in a way kind of confirms that everything in that story is probably true. And also getting Spencer Rattler's dad on the record, it's a big deal. So your thoughts, I'm sure you read the story. What are, you, what are your takeaways from that uh, now that we are you know, into this practice week and Oklahoma has not named a starting quarterback, even though it really seems like all the arrows are pointing to Caleb Williams? Well, I mean, I got to start with talk about, <laughs> I mean, a textbook example of of making a, a much bigger story out of something that didn't need to be that big of a story. Um, that this optically looks really bad for OU. Maybe not really bad, but it's just kind of silly. It's dumb. Um, I don't understand in this situation why. Because I mean, like, I I know that they're really conspiratorial and weird about closing off practice. I don't know whose decision this was. So I mean, I I don't know, but. At the same time, I don't understand why in this situation you don't just you don't you, you don't tip your cap for the hustle for getting the story in the first place, and then I don't know write up some sort of canned line you're going to say about it to the media, and then handle it quietly internally. Instead, now you're just gonna like one of the worst things you could ever do with like with reporters and journalists is cancel something with no like great reason. They're going to be super happy about that, and so that's going to be its own story now. I think it's just kind of dumb, especially for like. Like I said, kind of respect the hustle. I mean, that's that is pre, that's information that people want to know, and man, they got it. They they found it out, and so I, you know, I just I think it's I think it's silly. It was like it, it's you're you're turning something that was just something that people knew about on Twitter basically into something that's now going to be a story. Like they're going to talk about this on on the TV broadcast probably on Saturday. Interesting. Yeah, it's. It's kind of media 101, you know, don't make whatever the story is bigger by something that you do. And in this case, even though this could have nothing to do with this story, but also, like I said a second ago, it could have everything to do with it. This is the first time this season that they have just straight up canceled this Wednesday media availability. And it just happens to be after a story like that comes out by the OU Daily. So, it, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to think that they're connected in some way. Um, and I think that your solution is interesting. I mean, yeah, tip your cap and... Hey, tell the players, listen, if you get asked about this situation, here's what you say and you know, write out that canned line and then go from there. Because the, 
you know, Oklahoma's players, the guys that they would give to the media today that they would have given, first of all, Oklahoma's pretty good. I mean, their players are actually pretty savvy. They do a nice job anyways. Whoever they would have put out there would have been able to handle it just fine. They would have been able to, uh, I, yeah, like use whatever that canned line was and move on. They wouldn't have given us Spencer Rattler. They wouldn't have given us Caleb Williams, obviously, which is whatever. That's fine. But now, like you said, they, they cancel it. It makes it more of a thing. When you know, if Oklahoma goes out and plays well against TCU and beats TCU, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, it honestly, this doesn't matter either. It's just, it's just another weird kind of thing to add to this weird week. <laughs> Something that we've never it's seen just, before. You're right. It's just, it's just dumb. Just give them like. Obviously, Spencer Rattler's not going to talk. Obviously, Caleb Williams, uh, Caleb Williams won't talk. Send out like Eric Swinson and Isaiah Thomas, and you know what I mean, like Captain, like other Jeremiah, Jeremiah Hall. Hall, yeah. And have and have them say the canned line, and they'll they'll handle it well. And now, because now we're talking about this when we really like shouldn't have to be. It's just kind of a silly situation. It's like it's it's one of those situations where I hope it's not like Lincoln Riley treating the situation like everybody didn't just see what happened on TV on Saturday. Like it's not. This isn't that tough of a call. You're not gonna you're not gonna fool Gary Patterson. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. I mean, is Gary Patterson at this point 100% just preparing for Caleb Williams to be the quarterback? Yeah, he would be foolish. He'd be foolish if not. Like, I mean, what? I mean, the book is out on Rattler. It's like he's not not that difficult to defend anyway. Just drop eight. He'll, you know, he's. I mean, Spencer Rattler played pretty well against TCU a season ago in Fort Worth. So, I mean, Spencer Rattler was uh, not, wasn't as scared to throw the ball down the field at that time. <laughs> yeah. Like rem- hey, remember, for sure. remember the bomb that he threw to Mims for the touchdown in TC, uh, you know, against TCU. That's not a that's not a pass that he throws right now. I mean, that was a when he threw it, that was kind of a 50-50 ball. Mims had to jump up and get it. So, oh, he wasn't wide open on the the leak play on that. I, I guess I don't remember. I in my memory, I feel like he was wide open on that. But against TCU, not, I think he was he was definitely yeah. covered. There was a, there was one where Theo Weiss was wide open and then he got caught from behind. Okay. Yeah, it's it's I mean, that's a whole other thing for sure, and it, it's definitely shown in the stats. I saw PFF, I want to say a week or two ago, ha, you know, put out you know like he's one of the I think number one player in the country, Rattler, in the short to intermediate levels. But when you go deep past however many yards, I don't know twenty yards, whatever their metric is, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in college football. It was just it was ridiculous because he's not taking shots. So but is anyways. Uh, so is Casey yeah. Thompson until until he played OU. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, I, I sent you a picture. I was re- uh, rewatching the game today. By the way, I, I'm not, uh, I will say just my opinion, them canceling media availability on Wednesday. Uh, I'm in the media. I would have been on it. I, I'm, I try to be on that every Wednesday. It doesn't bother me that much. Uh, a lot of these guys very rarely ever say anything that's groundbreaking or that interesting to begin with. So sure, maybe there would have been something today with Rattler, but probably not because like you said, if they would have gone out there, Grant, they would have had some sort of canned line to handle the Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler thing. And so there, it, there would have been really nothing coming from it, most likely. And so for me, not having that availability, they gave me like an extra hour to watch back that Texas game and take more notes. And even though I'm not prepared TCU-wise for this podcast, everything else I feel pretty darn good about. And that extra hour was nice today. <laughs> yeah, TCU has been so Jekyll and Hyde anyway. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain we're going to get TCU's best version on Saturday, but hey, maybe maybe they won't. Maybe OU will just, uh, I think in a lot of ways, that's, you know, the story on Saturday is like, what's what's going to be the, the narrative after the game? Is it going to be, 
oh, you know, that was Caleb Williams, just kind of a flash in the pan, and he actually is just, you know, a freshman, and there were deeper problems than that? Or is it, is Caleb Williams, is it, is, are, are the good times going to keep rolling? Kind of, I feel like, obviously, when we recorded on Sunday, I was much more uh, on the latter end of the spectrum there. Whereas I'm, I'm kind of drifting back more towards the middle, where it's like I, I watched him at the Texas game, and I'm just like, eh. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how I can be super confident in the defense after what, what happened there. And then I watch Zach Evans and watch him move, and I was like, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's pretty good too, I guess. <laughs> so I, I mean, I don't know. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all if TCU comes in and lights it up a little bit on offense. Um, I don't think it would shock anyone up to this point after what we've seen the defense do the last couple weeks, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm I'm super interested to see. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot on TCU either, but uh, it's it's just crazy because this other story has just overshadowed everything. And I think we're going to get into this, talking about whether or not. And typically, I don't buy into this sort of stuff, but I could see this being a distraction for sure. And the, yeah, that's speaking of the defense, by the way, and we'll get to it. Weird. Another uh, the cancellation of the media availability on Wednesday. Okay, that's unusual. Another unusual thing. On Tuesday was Lincoln Riley had his normal press conference and then all season long after Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch talks. But this Tuesday, about an hour maybe before the presser, we got a note saying that, oh, Alex Grinch is not going to be available. It's going to be Bill Biedenboe. Did Alex Grinch have a prior engagement? I mean, it's set in his schedule that that's his thing every single week. Or is something else going on with Alex Grinch? <laughs> is he going to be available on Saturday? I don't know. Hopefully Alex Grinch is good. I, it's just... But everything is so secret and there's no explanation given. It just, it makes even like me who I'm not a big like gossip person or whatever. It makes me, me kind of wonder like, what's going on? Like, why is he not available for this thing? And it's just a press conference. Fine. Heck, maybe he was at practice and he just was, I don't know, maybe he was under the weather or something and it's not a big deal, which it probably isn't a big deal. But that's just another thing is like, it would have been nice to hear from Grinch after that Texas game, after you had time to watch film back. I know the, I heard from him after the game. And, you know, second half was a lot better than the first half, but I'm sure we would have had some good questions for him. You know, that he said after the game, it looked like the linebackers played one of their best games, if not their best game. But then now there's problems in the back end. And, and upon my rewatch, yeah, it, it seemed to be a couple of players just kind of confused, not knowing what their zones are or what their mans are, uh, especially after ha or especially before halftime. Anyways, I just want to throw that out there about Grinch. You don't have to comment on it. It doesn't really it's a kind of a non sequitur. Uh, but you, you mentioned this is going to be a distraction. This, this whole situation with the quarterback, uh, could this prevent Oklahoma from being fully prepared for TCU this Saturday? Oklahoma has been historically, under Lincoln Riley, really good after the Texas game. And Lincoln was asked about that Tuesday. And uh, his thing is like, yeah, the Texas game is huge. We get it. It's, it's a massive game. But every single year, I think I might say something along the lines of, yeah, it's a big game, but it's probably, it's probably put on a pedestal a little bit too. I'm, I'm paraphrasing him. But he said he said kind of something like it's it's probably made too much of because it's just one game and by the you know it was great it was exciting we won but heck guys by Sunday we were on the TCU and honestly I believe him because that's my mentality too <laughs> I I don't stew over game like yeah it was great it's cool but the next day like okay it's over you move on to the next thing that's just my mentality maybe I'd be a, a fantastic coach then because I don't uh, who cares about the Texas game I'll watch the film to learn from it. But there's no, no reason to celebrate after it. What's the, the old Jalen Hurts thing, the 24-hour thing? He saw 24-hour rule. 24 hours, and then you're on to the next game. That's kind of what it is. 
And uh, that's worked so far in his career against Texas. 4-0 after Texas. And the only close game was in 2017 at Kansas State. 2018, 19, and 20, they've had blowouts after Texas. But they've never had a situation like this where the quarterback, the one of the Heisman favorites, po- possible first-round draft pick going into a season gets benched. Riley doesn't name a starter, but we all kind of assume it's going to be Caleb Williams. How is that going to play out in practice? I mean, the last time there was a distraction, I guess, similar to this that you can compare is 2018 when they fired Mike Stoops. And Oklahoma responded and played really well the next game against Kansas State or TCU. One of the TCU. TCU. On yeah, the road. TCU. And I think they had a bye, though, after Tech. I think they had a bye week, then TCU, if I'm not mistaken. I think, that, I that I think that's right. It's, they, yeah, that's, it's something like that. So, and you, you just you referenced it a moment ago. Uh, you're kind of starting to feel maybe a little bit different than you were after that game on Sunday. That uh, maybe, you know, I mean, you know, maybe right? TCU the, could sneak up on them. The, the, yeah, I mean, the high kind of wears off a little bit, right? After actually being in the building and seeing what you saw, and then it, you know, reality kind of starts coming back. Like, ah, oh, I mean, they got a few defensive backs got got toasted pretty regularly in that game. Um, you know, there there were times they they did a pretty good job outside of just a handful of plays on Bijan, but I mean they they struggled to tackle at times there too. Um and then yeah, and then it's mostly it's more of a respect just for, you know, Zach Evans, I think is really good. And uh, you know, Kendra Miller showed I uh, showed me something watching a bit of that Texas Tech game, just a really easy athlete, pretty explosive, was had had some pretty nice breakaway speed as well. And then, I mean, I I already respect the the receivers they have there. I don't think they're all world, but I think they can hurt you if you're not if you know they can definitely sneak up on you. And then Duggan is Duggan's been very meh this year. I mean, if you go go look at his his box scores this season, he hasn't thrown for over three hundred yet this year. Uh, he really hadn't had a good game like a an actual really good game against an FBS team until this past week. But he only threw ten passes. Uh, he was efficient though. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, Duggan can always run and he's completed some really nice throws against OU, you know, in, in the last couple of seasons over the course of his career. So, I mean, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, they're, they're coming off a game in which they put away, you know, Texas tech pretty early. Texas tech was never really in that game. Their offense was explosive. They had nine plus, or I'm sorry, they had nine 25 plus yard gains in that game against, uh, against Texas tech. Well, you know, which accounted for close to half their yardage on those nine plays. Um, that's something you could point to and say, oh, you know, maybe they weren't as efficient, though, and they, they really relied on that big play. But, hey, big plays are big plays. Uh, there was a lot of skill involved in that. I mean, skill in terms of athletic skill from a lot from Evans and, um, and Miller. And so, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't, with, with OU's propensity to, to sometimes, you know, sometimes stunt in the wrong direction or, um with stuff like that yeah i mean if i'm i'm kind of concerned with with those guys maybe getting to the third level and and guys like justin broyles and jaden davis having to make tackles on them to prevent touchdowns i think that's a, a completely valid concern at this point in time and that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at right now and then of course you know i mean the i on on sunday i was still i was still high on caleb williams right and um i'm, st- I'm still really excited to see him i think I think more likely than not, he's going to be really good and be really successful against this TCU defense that's really struggled to tackle this year. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, it creeps in. It's like, you know, Kari Coleman came back for the first time last week. He didn't start, but he did. He played and he had a sack and he had another quarterback hurry that I saw as well. And uh, 
who knows? You know, you know, Gary Patterson's probably going to throw the kitchen sink at Caleb Williams, and then you have all of these distractions this week, and then I I keep coming back to what's what's one equalizer and what's what's one thing on a football team that can make you not worried about distractions, and it's I think it's stability at the quarterback position, and I think uh, you know my preferred narrative right is that Caleb Williams just keeps on rolling. He he rolls in from the Cotton Bowl right into his first home game, and he's. He looks just like you know what he looked like in the second half, maybe even better against maybe a worse defense. That's what I hope happens. But that little creep of doubt is it's creeping in, right? Saying it's like, is that actually the the wisest take on this game? That's that's a lot to put on a true freshman. But the exciting part of it, right, is that if Saturday comes and it's clear that again Caleb Williams is there to meet the moment and he's steady leadership and he's making explosive plays, making big plays. Then I think I, I think everybody has every right to start to get really excited. I mean, even more so than they already are. Yeah, well said. And, and you know, th- that's the thing. It's it's the quarterback spot. You know, yes, it, it's one of those things where the cliche is he's a freshman, he's going to make mistakes. We all know that. It's just you know to what to what degree does he make mistakes? Uh, you know, there were some there were some plays against Texas on the rewatch where he got away with a couple of things. Uh, you know, maybe an inch here or there it's a pick like for example his first completion to jeremiah hall that went for about 20 something yards he threw that back to hall going across the field there was a linebacker in the flats if he would have thrown that a little little farther out to lead hall that's intercepted and it perfect goes back throw. the other way <laughs> it was a perfect throw <laughs> yeah yeah that's it, where it's it, perfect throw but 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 he didn't see that guy though that's that's the point he didn't see that guy and that was kind of a lucky play uh, not to mention the one time he almost got sacked. He got away from it, threw it, got tipped up. Granted, that was a nice play because he he made a good throw to Jaden Hazelwood that Hazelwood didn't catch. It got tipped up into the air, and then Stogner caught it. But those I gotta, are just two things off the top of my head. Sorry. Uh, yeah, but what I got to say about that, those are two instances where his physical ability bailed him out. And that's something, That's something, right, when you're talking about the NFL, that's, that, that's no bueno. That is, that's not going to work at all on a consistent basis. In college... Yeah, I mean, if he if he's who what we thought he was coming out of coming out of high school, I mean, he's the number two player in the country, number one quarterback in the country, dual threat guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who those types of guys when they get to college, sometimes their athletic ability can really shine through, and they can explode in that structure and in that in that environment. And I, Caleb Williams definitely looks like you know his 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 athleticism was ready for the moment on that sixty six yarder. Oh yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, you're. That that's what your hope. That's the bet, right? Is that he's definitely he is going to make those mistakes. But like, I mean, you see you see the the ability oozing off of him, and you hope that that gets him through most of those glitches. And the best thing about college football is that with uber talented guys like that, there's there's a lot of precedent for that. There really is. Yeah, another example of you know his just his physical abilities, his talents bailed out's not the right way to to classify this next thing, but just. His first snap of the game on the long touchdown run. I went when I went back and watched that again when they showed the sky cam version of that. I mean, an underrated aspect of that play is that there's nothing there for him in the B gap where that play is designed to go. The edge player kind of cuts inside, being blocked by Jeremiah Hall. So Williams has to bounce it to the outside, and then there's a guy, an alley player coming in. I think a defensive back coming in, and he's got to sidestep and, and juke, not juke, but he has to make that guy miss to get past the line of scrimmage, and then he's gone. And he's off. I mean, he makes. Two physical plays there that I'm not sure Spencer Rattler. I mean, I don't. 
Spencer Rattler probably could have bounced to the outside, but the, making that next guy miss, I don't know if that happens. I think he might get stopped for no game. With the, he made the guy miss, and then the acceleration to separate from everybody. Yeah. Was, I mean, it was yeah. it was cool. It was actually really cool to see from my view in the stadium. It was it was just like, oh, man. I mean, you could tell he had some giddy up like when he hit that hole. I mean, it was it Especially was cool. being the first his first play of the game where he really wasn't as warm as he could have been. And to have to go from zero to 60 that quickly without – I mean, the last time he maybe stretched out a whole lot was in pregame. And, I mean, who knows how much he did on the sidelines. And he was – it was a hot day. That helped, right? I mean, it was super hot, so he was warm. But just it's impressive to me, maybe because I'm, I'm an old man now, and just the idea of kind of going from zero, haven't really played, you're kind of cold, relative to you know not playing much. I, I get it. I get that it was hot. And then all of a sudden having to just go to a sprint that fast and not like pulling a hamstring – or anything like that and just being gone. I mean, he's 18 years old or whatever, so he's supposed to be able to do that. It was just you know, one of those things that I can only appreciate more now that I'm 33 years old and uh, not 21. Because 21-year-old Lee's like, yeah, whatever. That's I could do that. I mean, I could do that. But uh, yeah, I, I could go from zero to 60 and not pull, not pull a muscle. <laughs> I mean, just the way that he... The way that he was able to break the pocket and just kind of calmly outmaneuver the guys who and and outangle them, and it was, I mean, it, it was like Kyler in that regard, where he just calmly was able to break it and get outside. And you hope, I you hope that he's he's able to do that the rest of the season. I mean, there's, I mean, Texas, we know they got some good athletes on that defense. I mean, there were some there's some good defensive linemen who were trying to chase him down, and he was just like, nah, <laughs> I'm gonna get outside you, and so. I, I hope I hope that's you know that's more to come. He's I mean, O'Shawn Mathis and Kari Coleman together on the field at the same time are, are tough, and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, if his if if, um, if his athleticism is showing up well against them as well, then who boy man? Like I mean, it's that's what you hope for. That's what you hope for. I, and I you know, gosh, it'd be great. It'd be great if that if if kind of that storybook narrative could continue. That'd be so cool. That'd be so great. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Caleb Williams as this podcast goes on. But real quick, back to Rattler. Now, we asked if this is going to be a distraction, this whole thing leading to TCU. And so far, Lincoln Riley, has, he's told us on Tuesday that Rattler has handled this well. He said he gave him the day off on Monday. He told him to get out of here, go back, you know, get refreshed, come back and, and uh, you know, practice on Tuesday. And he said he did. He came back. He practiced really well. And he was bouncing around the field on Tuesday. And I want to say it was Marvin Mims on Tuesday that said, oh, yeah, he was back out there. He looked great. He was doing what he does. You know, he's, he's one of our leaders. OK, so if everything that they're saying is true and Rattler has handled things well, then first of all, big props to Spencer Rattler because he's being a good teammate. He's handling adversity well uh, and maybe selfishly for him, he's going to make things more difficult on Lincoln Riley to make a decision because, you know, Rattler is Riley's guy. So is Williams, but they're both his guys. And last podcast, I was talking about how, hey, man, I, I get it. Everyone thinks it's going to be Caleb Williams, but this is going to be a really difficult week for Lincoln Riley and just having to manage the situation. And if Rattler is handling everything well, like they say, then it's going to continue to be difficult for Riley because he, he doesn't want to disappoint his guy. But let's say that actually at some point maybe Rattler – isn't handling things well it's maybe not quite what we're being told and like whether it's maybe later this week or let's say next week or like let's say they you know Williams is the guy but then like a week later maybe things start to kind of unravel for Rattler he's not he's not liking it he's like ah, I'm supposed to be the starter and you know Lincoln Riley and, and all the coaches and his teammates you know they've done as much as they can possibly do 
to try to get through to Rattler that, hey, you have a role on this team. Like, we need you. And Riley said it over and over, like, hey, we got two really good guys. I'm confident in both of these guys. But if this message to him is just, let's say it's not getting through, doesn't that then kind of X out this being a difficult situation for Lincoln Riley? If one of his guys, if Rattler is kind of like not not getting it and maybe not handling things well, it's going to be that easier for him to play Caleb Williams. And again, that could that's probably hypothetical at this point, but that's part of the situation. It's like, will it get to that point? Hopefully not, because it's incumbent on Spencer Rattler to stay as a team guy and just do basically what Jalen Hurts did a couple of years ago with Tua and just, hey, be there. And then if they ever need you, come out and, and win an SEC championship game like he did against Georgia. So I... It might be a hypothetical, but I think it's possible. It's it's a thing that could happen if, because you know, he's a college kid. I mean, college kids like he he had all these high hopes. Like if he's not playing, he could get frustrated. Grant, and so I don't know if you have anything if you have any thoughts on that. I just wanted to throw that out there. That I mean, that could add to the distraction if things kind of go downhill. Yeah, maybe. Um, I always like you know I always like to go to Occam's Razor here. Like you know what's 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 the easiest explanation here. And I, I think it is, it's just his, I'm sure Spencer Rattler's feelings have been hurt really bad. Um, and that's like, that's okay. Like that's totally fine. Um, I, it, the highs that he kind of experienced going into this season and now where he is and that happening in, you know, in what is the biggest college football game, if not the country in the region for sure, um, on TV in front of 8 million people watching. I mean, that's what kind of happened to him is, is, is unprecedented kind of in the modern era, you know, where you come in and you're the, you're the Heisman favorite. And not only did you get your job taken away from you, you got it taken away from you pretty emphatically. The guy who, you know, the guy who was ranked higher than you in high school, I know you bo- both were number one quarterbacks, but you were like the number 30 player in the country. He's the number two player in the country. He comes in, he looks Holly, like he looks Hollywood, man. He looks like a, like, tell me that guy's not going to be the franchise quarterback for the Denver Broncos in three years. He just, that Caleb Williams looks like a pro athlete right now. Just look at him. Um, he's got, he had a swagger about him. He comes in, he, he, I mean, he helped put together the, the recruiting class that he just came in with because of the COVID restrictions. The guy has proven at times that he's a great leader. You got Spencer Rattler coming in and Spencer Rattler was very good last year. He was really, he was the best player on the team last season. He was. I know it's it's easy it's easy for us to forget that we said that numerous times uh, because of what's transpired so far. But he he was he was really good last year, based off based off his progression, based off of his season, based off of things that have happened uh, before him at OU. It made sense that he was anointed to where he was coming into this season. It really did. Um, and then for it to unfold this way, I'm sure emotionally is extremely difficult. Um, I know just how, how, like I I know in my situation guy who doesn't who never played division 1 you know athletics I can tell you how the right way to handle it would be but just because it's the right way doesn't make it easy you know as as human beings we're governed a lot by our emotions and sometimes they get the best of you and that's probably what's happening that's that's probably what 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 has happened in this situation it's a really difficult emotional situation Spencer Rattler is going to handle it in the way that he can handle it based off of what he has, what sort of emotional skills he has. And then we look at what his dad says to the OU Daily. That's the right mindset to have. It really is. And if it took Spencer Rattler a couple of days of not feeling great emotionally to get to that point and maybe not making the best decisions to get to that point, 
that's okay. That is just not the worst possible thing that could happen in the situation. But of course, it's something that you want to monitor going forward. Like, is it, it's, if, if OU continues to win and their offense rolls and there's no problems whatsoever and Spencer Rattler's a good little foot, foot soldier, the story will go away. The story will just be Caleb Williams. And, and then, you know, Rattler can just, he can just kind of focus on becoming the best person he possibly can. And then, yeah, he can get the hell out of here in January, go somewhere that's going to showcase his ability to throw the ball down the field in a different way, maybe just needs a different look. And if the Spencer Rattler of 2020 comes and plays at like an Ole Miss or an Oregon next season and is just as impressive as he was last season, then he's going to have a chance to go in the first round. And I think that's how we should look at it. And chances are that's what's going to happen. I, I really think the chances are that that's what's going to happen unless there's just some internal team strife that we have no clue about that they've just had to keep, they've had to do their best to keep clamps on. And that, I mean, that's just me speculating wildly. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and there's no public indication that that's a thing at all. Everything, and you mentioned that maybe he's had some tough you know, decisions or made some tough things. Like Again, the last couple of days, it sounds like, I mean, according to Riley, he's handled everything well. I mean, I know there was that video from the Cotton Bowl from a fan that he was being you know, helped out of the stadium by, I think, one of Oklahoma's SID people. But, I mean, immediately when the game was over, though, like he was there. He was in the huddle. He was congratulating. You know, he was saying hey to his teammates and Casey Thompson was over there. It was picked up on the TV broadcast. Obviously, they cut away, so I, I guess he was let off before they could do the whole celebration with the hat thing, which is I, we, we saw one video and who knows why that why, why that was a thing. I mean, maybe that was like a, a thing where he was kind of like bummed out and like the his his own kind of, man, that sucks that I got benched. That took over the team aspect of it, which you're right. Like you made a good point. Like you could say what the right way is to handle it, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. And and I get that. And you add that extra element of being a kid, the extra element of being a guy who I, he might be 21 now, probably 20 or 21. And I, I get it. I, I think you're an adult at that point, but I'll catch you some slack. You still are a kid. You know, when I was 21, looking back, I thought I knew everything, didn't know anything. I was dumb. Thought I was pretty mature. I was, I was probably decently mature for my age, but definitely not anywhere near what I am now. And I'm still not that mature to begin with. So I get it. I'll cut him some slack. But ever since then, it sounds like things are going well. Uh, but you wanted to talk about this a little bit. You know, here, the thing is, it's all been uh, in Rattler's hands. He's controlled everything. He's had every single opportunity to not get his job taken to play better, to, to, to you know, watch tape, practice better, make better decisions. He's had every single opportunity, and it took the game six in another situation in the Cotton Bowl where he had two really bad turnovers in the, against Texas in that game, and it was gone. So my thing is he's been practicing with Caleb Williams ever since the spring. He's seen Caleb Williams. His teammates have seen him going into the fall. Fall camp. I had heard rumblings that Caleb Williams looked really good in fall camp, that Rattler looked good too, but Caleb Williams was kind of right there with them, and they were both really good. I mean, Rattler has seen that. He's seen it in practice throughout this season, and also Rattler has known he's not played as well as he did last year. So I get, again, that it's emotional and it's tough as a kid to take all this in and do the right thing sometimes because it's easy for me and you here to say, hey, listen, like, come on, you should be able to see this stuff. And so I get that. But if he has been seeing this guy that's behind him for months now, pretty good, and he has not been able to up his game to make sure that he doesn't get his job taken, he has to internalize that and realize that ultimately that is on him. And that's the only way he'll be able to get through this and get better. And if he doesn't play anymore at Oklahoma, 
if if it is Caleb Williams and he does come out and play really well against TCU and it's his job moving forward and Rattler's the backup and then Rattler has to transfer, that's the only way Rattler's going to be able to to move on and actually get to where he wants to go, which is going to be top, you know, first round draft pick playing the NFL. It can go one of two ways. Either you can blame other people or you can take it, take it in, internalize it and get better. So he's got to make that decision. And the fact that he, it took this long and now it's gone, it sucks for him. But also at some point, his leaders, his, his parents, the coaches, everybody giving him advice because he's a kid. Hopefully it gets through to him that, yep, all right, I get it. This was not great. I, I had plenty of opportunities to fix it and play better. He was great against Kansas State, and then he regressed big time against Texas. So, man, I want him to do well. I, I, it's so weird to see him go from what he played like in 2020 to what we've seen outside the Kansas State game in 2021. And even in the Kansas State game, he still wasn't taking shots down the field which is a thing that he did a lot in 2020. So uh, anyways, yeah, I, good, good way to put it. Um, sorry. I'll, so yeah, I, Oh, yeah. The question is, has he kind of seen Caleb Williams behind him for the last seven, eight months? And has that maybe kind of gotten his head a little bit? And has that maybe made him not take that next step? Or is that total speculation? I mean, it's a total podcast talking point. Yeah, and I mean, if like if Caleb Williams again comes out on Saturday, he's great, and like you're you're seeing the like the spin moves and the long runs, and he's just throwing bombs to Marvin Mims, and and Marvin Mims is Marvin Mims again. Then yeah, I mean like that that conspiracy theory I think is definitely going to gain a little bit momentum because <laughs> hey, let's like I actually I mean I'm the fan, so I can be a conspiracy theorist here a little bit. If you actually piece together some information, right? Go listen to Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman's podcast from this past week. They had they had alluded in there that you know Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler had maybe been a little closer than people thought throughout fall camp, and a big a big reason why uh, Williams hadn't overtaken Rattler was because of mistakes and turnovers in practice, and so it makes me wonder if that was known, if that was a message that had been communicated to both of them, and one if I wonder if that got in Rattler's head, and maybe like after the two lane interception and stuff too, he throws that pick. Maybe there's just this tick in his head of be safe with the ball. Don't turn it over. Don't push it because that's what's because that's what's kind of preventing me from getting my job taken right now. That's that's an interesting theory. And considering that Riley uh, Riley Rattler didn't have this sort of protect the football mentality a lot last year. He just he let it fly. And the thing is, he did protect the ball pretty well. He turned it over, but not that much. I mean, he he, he made plays. He let guys make plays. But yeah, it does seem like ever since that two-lane game, it's just look at the numbers. He doesn't take deep shots, and when he when he has, they haven't been successful. Yeah, and, and you it, know, it hey, does kind of play like like he's been like a, a you know a game manager, ball distributor, trying to protect the football. And I'm sorry, like haven't haven't there just been a weird amount of like excuses from Lincoln Riley this year saying that like his interceptions weren't his fault, stuff like that, where it's just like I kind of feel like that's happened on on a on a decent amount of them, and it's just like you know. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. a maybe that's just like that. That's a way to kind of keep him engaged. I don't know. That's that's wild speculation. That's it's dumb to to think that deeply about it. But um, speaking of fault, speaking of faults on interceptions, the one against Texas, the Stogner worst. You know, on the broadcast, Kirk Herbstreit he blames Stogner, but on Gabe and Teddy's podcast, I listened to it as well. They blamed Rattler. So my thing is. Okay, whose fault was it then? <laughs> like, I mean, is it like well, I nobody think knows unless you're in the head of like whoever, like, 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. In that situation, though, does it really matter? Because the end result is the quarterback and the receiver in that situation aren't on the same page. It doesn't, who's... And they weren't... And I'm sorry, but, like, if they're not on the same page, this is just how it works in football. That is the quarterback's fault 100% of the time. Well, quarterback or head coach, probably. Uh, Unless, I guess, yeah, I mean, maybe I don't know the, the... the intricacies of the option, those option routes and stuff like that. But I mean, that's why you rep that stuff over and over again. Right. And, um, well, it's just interesting that later in the game, Rattler threw the same, he thought the same route was coming from Stogner with that ball that got tipped in the red zone. That was almost intercepted. It would have been intercepted if it wasn't tipped and Rattler ran the same exact route he had ran on the interception. So it was almost like the same type of concept. So I don't know. I don't know who was, were they, I mean, who was wrong twice? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, but I, I did want to bring this up because, man, I was thinking back to to go along with what we were just talking about, how you know ever since the spring they've been practicing together and Rattler has seen Caleb Williams and Williams has seen Rattler. You know, I, I was thinking back to the spring game and remember how you know the whole thing with the spring game that, that your, your big thing is like, it's a spring game. It's whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Baker Mayfield, there was a spring game where he was like, not that great, whatever. It's Baker Mayfield. And so my thing was Spencer Rattler did not look very good in the spring game. And yeah, it's a spring game, whatever. And then Caleb Williams looked better. Uh, and so just for fun, I went back and found my notes from after the spring game. And now that this whole thing's playing out and it looks like Williams will probably start on Saturday and like he played really, really well against Texas. And my God, like, is it possible that that spring game was almost like the first sign that something was up here with Spencer Rattler? Because looking back at my notes from that game, Rattler in the game, was 6 of 14 for 116 yards and no touchdowns, only led one scoring drive, and that was a field goal in the first series of the second half. And this is, this is my notes. It says, it kind of looked like Rattler was going through the motions, and early in the scrimmage, he was facing the twos on defense. Thought he made a good throw to Mario Williams on the first series on fourth down. He tried to hit him on the deep back shoulder fade, but it was incomplete. The second series, he went three and out. Uh, There's a whole lot of nothing from Rattler in the first half of that game. Uh, The deep shot to Mario Williams to start the second half could have been intercepted, but it went down as a long completion to Mario Williams. But I'm pretty sure it was DJ Graham who was in coverage on that. And they had like dual possession of it, but they gave it to the receiver. And that's where Rattler got most of his passing guards in the game was from that one throw. Uh, Rattler was almost picked off in the end zone, forcing the ball to Austin Stogner. Uh, Bryson Washington had two hands on it, but then Stogner was able to rip it away. And then my last note on it was that I, I said I wanted Rattler to play well in the spring game, and he really didn't. I know it's a practice in the spring, but it would have been cool to see him more sharp. How much of this was the Oklahoma defense that has seen him, uh, seen this same o- OU offense for the last month of spring practice? And I put down, it's probably a lot of it because the defense usually kind of wins out when they see a lot of the offense. But now I look back. I don't know. Maybe that was kind of the early signs and there's that things were just not going to be the same for Rattler this year because, again, Caleb Williams against the ones. Caleb Williams played against the ones in that game a decent amount. He looked, he looked better than Spencer Rattler in the spring game. So just wanted to kind of go back into the vault and, and look at those notes. Grant, uh, anything stand out to you about those post-spring game notes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, big time. We, I mean, we had, you and I had a conversation about it you know, while we were walking back to the car after the spring game. I mean... 
about uh, how we thought. I was like, I think I think I even made a throwaway comment. I was like, yeah, I mean, Williams looked far and away better than Rattler, but then I think I qualified it by saying, as like, it's a spring game, so it doesn't matter. But um, no, <laughs> I mean, like, I I completely like I I will one hundred percent admit to at times like after watching Caleb Williams, and I, I mean, I was kind of blown away by how good he looked. It was mostly his poise, just how calm he was. Um, also, I mean, his, his release was really quick too. And I could tell he had a lot of zip on the ball and I just, I knew he was a better runner than Rattler. Um, and I knew what he had done, his role that he had played in the, in the, in the 2021 class and how he had kind of brought that class together. I knew that was, was kind of a special thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I will 100% admit to having the fantasy. I mean, even as late as, I mean, the summer of, of wondering what if Caleb Williams is the guy? And it's just it's it, we don't know it yet, and and I I admit usually that was good, and maybe that won't be like obvious until next season or something, um, but like yeah, I I mean I I thought about it. It's mostly it's mostly just his aura, and just the way that you're kind of I, drawn to the guy. I, I mean I can I can see what his like. I, you watched the the broadcast. I mean, did you see on TV on TV like the the video of him putting on the golden hat and him doing the horns down? And then just like screaming, is that's it's it's that's one of my favorite images of like any OU player ever. And there's just there's something about the dude. There's something about the guy. And of course, I was like, I, yeah, maybe he just totally blows up and is just like awful. And then we can play these back and laugh about him. But um, I don't know, man. There's there's something about the guy. Something about the guy that definitely I was drawn to when, when he was. I mean, when he first came here, for sure. Yeah, certainly interesting. Uh, well, man, uh, looking forward to Saturday night. I just, I can't imagine Spencer Rattler trouting onto the field to start that game uh, in, in front of the home fans. I, I just, I can't imagine that being a thing. I just, uh, I mean, imagine if that's the thing, if that's the case. I, I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be Caleb Williams. But I just, I, I can't imagine Rattler starting that game. Uh, and, and, you know, God forbid him going three and out, you know, or throwing an interception. You know, it just, there's no way. I, I think Riley, that would be a tough position to put a player in <laughs> at this point to do that, unless unless he was a hundred percent like, my God, Spencer, I'm a hundred percent confident that you're going to lead this team down on a touchdown drive and you're going to look awesome. But I, I just that's a huge risk at this point. <laughs> I don't know, man. I the OU Daily reported it, man. Caleb Williams is a starter. Like yeah. it doesn't. I, I it, that's pretty clear to me. I, I don't. Uh, he was he was taking the number one reps. I mean, that was I I trust that. I trust that report because OU has confirmed it to us non, you know, in a very indirect well, way. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, let's go over to your three-word reviews, of which we had many from the OU Texas game, and there's a 0% chance I will get to all of them. I will start, though, with all of you who are on the who have liked the West of Everest Facebook page. We appreciate that, and we'll start with you all first. Hunter says, that's Sooner Magic. Oh, interesting. Uh Hunter, uh, he must have had a spy on you because he says that he saw you eating a corn dog every time Oklahoma scored in that game. So uh, I guess you're just a huge liar. You love corn dogs, or maybe that was part of the the devil's bet you had. If if uh, OU scores a lot, then you'll eat corn dogs. I totally screwed up. I actually only got one fair food item. I got I got a Belgian waffle right at the very beginning of the morning. You sent then- me a Snapchat of it, and it looks so gross because you had fruit on it. You just had fruit on it. The fruit, it wasn't That's just it. fruit. It was, there was chocolate whipped cream on it mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the, the strawberries. I mean, it was delicious. It was very good. 
Uh, no, Justin, by the time, any- by like no, by the time I was done with that, I mean that that thing took me thirty minutes to eat because like, it was not portable whatsoever. I had to find a place to sit down. I had to find a fork and a knife, and I was like, ah, oh, man, this wasn't wasn't the best decision of my life. <laughs> and by then. By then, the Fletcher's Corny Dog stations, which I saw like maybe four or five of them, I mean, just absurdly packed at that point. I was like, I'm not. I was like, I, I, I kind of wanted to have one for the bit, but I'm just, I'm not going to wait <laughs> 30 minutes for a corn dog. And so I just drank beer instead. Nice. Uh, Justin, you have many three-word reviews. I'm going to pick one of them. I'll go with Kennedy freaking Brooks. And rewatching the game, it, it was even more impressive uh, Kennedy Brooks's performance uh, he's just it seemed like the first person never brought him down except for one play he kind of got tripped up like a shoestring tackle in the second half where I don't know if you could see it from your angle but like on the broadcast it was like oh like that could have gone for a lot it would have been a lot yeah that was uh there was definitely a big oh in the crowd when that happened yeah good to hear it uh, Michael says never a doubt Reginald boomer freaking sooner uh Harry, you say Superman to the rescue. That's a good one. Uh, this is pretty funny. Mark says Texas wanted Caleb. <laughs> and I guess that was the report, right? During college game day, the Texas fans were yelling, we want Caleb. Uh, I, wish I, I wish I would have been there when that, was, when that was going down. But yeah, I, I saw the video. That is delicious. That is just, <laughs> that is, that's the most delicious thing that's, that's maybe ever happened. More delicious than that's- a Belgian waffle, for sure. Ned said Caleb's the man and then also he says both of them I like that well done there Ned Uh, of course Caleb Kelly's great play and I know that people have made this point already I'll just I'll parrot it I mean that incredible play by Caleb Kelly unfortunately has definitely gotten overshadowed by a lot of the other incredible plays in that game and obviously by the quarterback situation but that was such a cool play by Caleb Kelly just the man strength just go in there and just just grabbing the ball and just like I do way more curls than you bro takes the ball away from him and then Caleb Kelly kind of like hides it to display it and I think you were kind of in that area where he recovered the ball right Grant you were kind of sitting in that area of the stands yeah yeah I mean I, we were in the second deck but yeah I mean I was right above it um so yeah I mean it looked I no I couldn't tell at first I was I thought it looked I, I thought when 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 uh when Woods went down it looked kind of weird when he like went down it looked like he reacted weird but it wasn't obvious, but like Caleb Kelly was like the last one in that group of players that came out of the pile or whatever. And then I saw him, I saw him reacting, but it was late enough. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they got the ball there. And then everyone, like nobody really realized it. And then, yeah, I mean, once they, once they showed the replay of it, everyone just lost their, their crap. (laughs) Uh, Tracy says Caleb Williams time. I I just think there, there's going to be some things with, with Caleb where they're more limited in doing, I'm sure. Maybe there's some parts of the playbook they have to get rid of. But, you know, one of the things that I thought was interestingly in the spring game, and we saw it also against Western Carolina, was that the RPO playbook is a lot deeper with Caleb Williams. Um, and, I mean, that's that's something that we really haven't seen a lot from OU. I Even, you know, Baker and Kyler and Jalen ran it, like, kind of every now and then, but not, like, a lot at all. Um, makes me wonder if that becomes a big part of the offense. Um, I mean, I just, I, I still, like, GT Counter, man, they blocked up GT Counter really well against Texas. And they, they had some, they had some different, um, they had some different variations of it. I know, like, on the, um, on the direct snap to Kennedy, they had Drake Stoops coming around, and Drake Stoops was just murdering dudes, and it was awesome. Um, 
but uh, I, yeah, like those counter plays when when OU ran counter, Texas couldn't really defend it. Um, I saw a tweet today. I, I mean, I don't. It's from it wasn't like a verified account, but it was. I think it was OU ran counter variations eleven times versus Texas for hundred and seventy seven yards. Um, hey, that's actually really interesting because that's exactly the number that I have. I was going to give you a GT counter stats. So awesome. They that ran, makes me feel good. They they ran the direct snap counter. They ran that play three times. One time when Rattler was in, and Kennedy Brooks gained like 17 yards. And then of course they ran it the two times with Caleb Williams that Brooks uh, was able to. Did he score? Did he score on both of them. Scored on both right. of them. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's but traditional GT counter. They ran eight times, which that adds up to 11. And they ran it with Spencer Rattler three times. And with Caleb Williams, they ran it five times. And with Rattler, they got gains of three yards, one yard, nine yards. With Caleb Williams, the five snaps, 15 yards, five yards, 65 yards, nine yards, two yards. So obviously the big Kennedy Brooks run was, was on the GT counter play. So five rushes for 96 yards but 65 of them was on one snap but okay take away 96 minus 65 is what 31 so 31 divided by four that's still a pretty good pretty good yards per carry even taking away the the massive run so um yeah they i mean they ran it they didn't i bet i bet if i would have asked you grant before you saw that tweet how many times do you think they ran gt counter i bet you would have guessed a lot more than just eight traditional times right no no i i I would have oh okay no, I honestly I would have guessed because you know I've I've kind of oversold it, but I probably would have guessed like f- four or five times is what I would have okay. guessed. Um, I just I, I I definitely just remember being in the stadium, recognizing it when they did run it, and thinking that they had quite a bit of, like quite a bit of success when they did. Um, that's great to see. I mean, that's really great to see. I mean, um, and I, I'm just telling you, Caleb Williams being there is is obviously going to make that much more effective because the the backside. The backside crasher now has to respect Caleb Williams, and that's and even on and even on non GT counterplays when they were just doing outside zone. I mean the the Caleb and Williams you got, and the handoff there. You you can't you can't blow the play up from the backside. And I, I gotta think that that helps mentally for offensive linemen, knowing that there's that I I feel like that makes your assignments a lot easier. Knowing that 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 backside crasher has got. I mean if he if he crashes super hard, I mean Williams is gonna pull it. And he's gonna. And he's going to gain a bunch of yards. So, and Williams didn't pull it a whole lot in that game. I think he did it twice. And I feel like maybe, it's going to be the most effective. It's going to be the most effective if he does it just every now and then, enough to lull people to sleep. And then when he pulls it, if he if he can pull off like big plays with it and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I th- I just I, I think the ceiling the ceiling with Lincoln Riley's offense is always going to be higher when the quarterback is a big time running threat. I mean, we we've, we've seen that. I mean, Jalen he. The first half of the Jalen Hurts season, I mean, it was they averaged ten yards per play solely on Jalen Hurts' running ability and how and the explosive passing plays that they got from that based on that fear. And I don't know, like we'll see if we'll see if that if that, if that materializes and we'll see if, if Williams can see him can see those plays coming. I hope so. And you and, and you mentioned that maybe Williams would be able to avoid that early sack from overshone i mean there was an example you know when williams is in in the first half on second down where the corner blitzed and went through and the i think the b gap where the offensive lineman kind of had left and williams was able to avoid that corner blitz get away from it and scramble 
and he, he looked for Braden Willis in the end zone. It was incomplete. On the broadcast, Kirk Herbstreit gave Williams a lot of credit for being able to not only escape the sack, but Seeing extend it. the play and, and yeah, and, and give Willis almost a chance to make a play. Yeah, or, no, I'm, I'm, Herbie kind of yeah, had a man yeah. crush moment there. He was like, you could, he had kind of some panic in his voice, and he was like, the fact that he was even able to see that is, Chris, that's getting me, that's getting me excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said that. Uh, all right, um, let's go over to Twitter real fast. We don't have whole much, a whole lot of time left. We'll start with Travis on Twitter. He says, "Need Woody back." A Woody Washington reference, and we were texting earlier today, Grant. Uh, Woody Washington, uh, you know, we were excited about him coming into the season, but he might be a lot more important to the Sooner defense than, than it, even we thought he was because him not being out there with DJ Graham seems to uh, seems to be hurting because DJ Graham's not not one of the guys that's kind of getting beat whenever these there's confusion in the secondary. It's in that game, it was McCutcheon and Jaden Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's definitely like, and let's Nick Benito is the most important player to to the defense. Um, but I think, I, I think he was he was so good, he was so good. In that I know, game. just I know. everything, oh. pass rush. Uh, I mean, smart like tackling Bijan out of the backfield, not over pursuing, just letting. I mean, he just he was so good in that game. Sorry, go ahead. No, he he was great. I mean, he was really good. He was he was definitely one of the standouts uh, when I rewatched it. Um, no, what I was going to say, I mean, I, I think Benito, obviously the most important player of this defense. I, I think I think the number two and number three most important players are on the shelf right now. Jalen Redman and Woody Washington. Like I thought it's nice to have Stutzman. It's nice to have Stutzman back, though. Stutzman in there. Nice he was Stutzman certainly back. the best linebackers. I thought were were Stutzman, Asamoa and um, Deshaun White in that game. I, Witter seemed like he was kind of lost a lot of the time. I thought Witter looks... just is kind of David Agwebu's just been an afterthought, man. I, I he's yeah. So maybe it, he should like gosh. I mean, he's so big. Maybe they should move him back to edge. Like I, I feel like he'd be way better on get, the get edge, another, like setting the edge. Because he's never been like like I know I've, I talked about this last year. He's not he's not your traditional speed D guy. He's not that fast. He's not he's not as fast as a Asamoah or a Witter or even a Stutzman. He just isn't. He looks like he's lumbering out there, and if he's not seeing it, he's not going into the right. I don't know. I'm not an expert on linebacker play, but he's just he's he's not he's not making plays like he did last season. Yeah, so he just seems so that, he that seems changes. so big and long. It's like yeah, maybe get get him back to his natural position. But um, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I thought Witter looked lost a lot of the game. Um, I, I thought yeah. I mean, I thought that that trio of Asamoa, White, and Stutzman were all like really solid. I, I was I was looking really hard for busts like over the middle. And there, I mean, there was just none that were as bad as some of the things that we've seen this year, um, and so it was it was nice to see that they clearly had a plan for Bijan out of the backfield. Um, I mean, it was covered every time; like they they never got him open out of the backfield once. That was good to see. Nick Benito had had a big role in that, and that, you and I were texting back and forth last week, and I had kind of suggested that that maybe they need to use Benito in that regard, and they did every now and then. It looked like, and then I I don't know if we mentioned this. Um, on Sunday, and I, I heard other podcasts talking about it, and I, and I made sure to notice it when I watched back the game again. But but Isaiah Thomas did kick inside in the second half, and that that did correlate with them starting to heat up Casey Thompson a lot more. And that's where I kind of come with the Jalen Redmond being really important type deal. I mean, when you got when when you have Winfrey and then another big time pass rushing threat there, like on the inside right there. I mean, that's that's really tough for opposing defenses right now, especially in the Big 12. So one, I hope Jalen Redmond comes back soon. But 
it's also a it's a nice thing that the like let's Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs are good. I uh, they like we Reggie Grimes. I think we kind of knew that already. Uh, Ethan Downs has been really good the last two games. Um, he he's a guy who I like. He seems just really assignment sound. Um, he sets the edge really nicely when he's out there. I, I've really liked watching him play. And if that allows you know it to kind of kick inside and be more of a pass rushing threat from the inside, like he did a lot of the time last season when he should have been the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I, that's I mean. That sounds great. I mean that that's a nice little band aid there until Jalen Redmond gets back. And I mean I think I think we all think Redmond's going to be back relatively soon. That's one of those things. Honestly, with Redmond, kind of hope maybe he just takes the next three weeks and then takes the bye week after Kansas and is ready for that game in Waco, which is if OU comes into that without a blemish on the record, that's going to be pretty crazy. There, that's going to be one to I'm I'm going to want to go to for sure. Yeah, yeah, we need to get Jalen Redmond certainly back to health. Uh, I, I will say, I mean, I thought that was the best game of the year by Isaiah Thomas. He was really good, too. We were just you know, bragging about Benito and Perion. Perion had his best game. Yeah, Perion had sure. a really good game. Uh, I mean, he, uh, he was really good in that game. And I, I share your thoughts about Downs. He has a nice motor out there, and uh, he seems like he's just he's, he's quick. He's quick off the ball, and, and he's not making any sort of glaring mistakes. He seems strong. Rhymes, yeah. He's uh he seems uh mm-hmm. Ethan Down seems strong like he's he's bull rushed guys pretty effectively did yeah. that against K State effectively too there was a there was a play where he was able to bull rush a guy and and he drew a holding penalty against Texas and unfortunately the next play Bijan Robinson picked up twenty yards in the first down because uh well Oklahoma you know it was second half and they didn't they didn't stop him every time but still it was a good job by Ethan Downs quick more three word reviews here from Twitter Texas is Texas <laughs> from Chris. OU Boom says Drake Stoops, blocker. He's just he's he's always there, man. Drake Stoops is a good player. Oh, yeah. He's a guy it's, you want uh, on your team. I like I don't think I I don't think it would shock anybody if that dude plays in the NFL. I, I mean, I don't think it would if Hunter Renfro can play in the NFL, Drake Stoops can play in the NFL. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Ben says team has heart. Tara says, speaking of heart, Tara says need heart meds. <laughs> Let's see. Horns Down says Texas ain't back. Chafee Park Sooner says Riley's a Mensa. I think isn't that means he's really smart? Like he's part of Mensa. I think that's super smart people. Yeah, that's what he. Yeah, that I'm not. I'm not sure if he's saying that kind of ironically or if he's. I don't know. Yeah, high a high IQ society. Brian says Rattler transfer portal. Uh, interesting. Uh, Tony, Tony just, you know, Tony had a nice little Saturday. Tony says, not too bad. <laughs> uh, 955.rap says, Burkich is money. And you know what? We didn't talk about Burkich at all. I mean, Gabe Burkich, steady man, keeps chipping away with those intermediate field goals. And he didn't miss any. He was perfect. And like that gives Riley, like all those times they stall out, it drives us mad. But if Burkich keeps making these field goals, then it's like, uh, all right. I mean, I guess hopefully he keeps making them, but you can't say enough about Gabe Burkich. He's, I mean, he's going to get, he's going to be one of those rare kickers that get drafted. I guess Seibert got drafted. I mean, Burkich is definitely going to get drafted. I mean, he's, he's going to be a pretty high draft pick for I mean, a unless kicker, he just, perhaps. Unless he just collapses and just starts missing yeah. kicks left and right, but man, I hope that Which doesn't is definitely happen. definitely possible. Hey, we, we, we didn't talk about it. I, I guess we did talk about it a little bit on Sunday, but how terrible the, the clock management was on that final drive and... 
and the the clock Man. management was terrible solely because Riley has too much confidence in Burkich. So it was. That's a good point. It's it's a mixture between that and as I was watching it back again today, another thing that came in my mind is that oh my gosh, you know how the old this is old Colin Cowherd thing. Colin Cowherd always says. You know, what a coach thinks about his quarterback, he'll, he'll tell you by the plays he calls and like how he, how he treats his quarterback. What if that was also a huge belief in Caleb Williams? Like, he was like, yeah. Like, Riley was operating like he only had one timeout left. He had two. And Caleb Williams was just going down the field, and they were getting first downs. But, I mean, they finally got a first down, you know, deep into, what, the 25? There's only 10 seconds left, and they still had one timeout remaining. So, I mean, I don't understand why he didn't take a timeout 20 seconds before that. I mean, he was definitely, he didn't, he, he was, he was trying to avoid a situation where Texas got the ball back under any circumstance. I, I like, Correct. he was, I think he was in that situation. The number Correct. one thing on his mind was I don't trust my defense right now. Not in this invite, like not, not in this crazy game. We, we have to be the last ones with the ball. That had to have been his logic. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it yeah, was. And, it's, and he, it's easy to forget. Yeah, he has it's all easy the to forget the, the frustration of the uh, of of the play clock for sure. Man, Kennedy Brooks, I love you. That was awesome. <laughs> and I mean, normally I would say the the most excited guy in the field when that touchdown happened was probably Gay Burkich because he's like, ah, cool. I don't have to go kick a game winner. But honestly, Gay Burkich is kind of like such a guy that's like whatever. He probably he's like, oh, okay, whatever, cool. I mean, I'd have, I'd have been able to kick a field goal, but this is cool I don't too. Want him. I don't. I don't want him kicking. He he missed he missed a game winner against Texas last year. I know. I know. I Same situation. Tie game. And I just I, I don't like it. I don't like testing. He had already made four field goals, and I'm, and like if I'm a head, I'm just like that's enough. Like anytime you try, I <laughs> I understand that Burkich is really good. Like I get it, but like you're you're playing with fire if you send him out there that many times. All right, a couple more, and then we got to move on to TCU real quick. P two three five seven zero always has some good ones. Biggest comeback ever, and that is correct. It was the biggest comeback ever against Texas for Oklahoma. Then our old friend Sean says, "Wanted, got Caleb." We'll end with that one. Thanks for all your three word reviews. I know I didn't get to a lot of you guys, but uh, really appreciate it. And we will do it again after the TCU game. Hopefully, they're positive three word reviews. But yeah, you never know. Speaking of TCU, talked about him earlier in the show, Grant. Um, man. The defense, weirdly, is not good. It's near the bottom of college football in almost every single metric, yards per game, 99th. They're allowing six and a half yards per play, which is 117th in the nation, giving up 206 yards per game on the ground. They can't stop the run. Uh, and there's very little havoc, only 18 tackles for loss. That's nearly dead last in college football. And they only have six sacks this year. That's 118th in college football. They have managed seven takeaways, which isn't terrible. Oklahoma has 10. Uh, so given the lack of havoc, they've had a decent amount of takeaways, and they've only played five games, not six. So let's start with that, Grant. It's one of those things where, simply put, if Caleb Williams is what we saw against Texas, then he should be able to do a lot of the same things against this TCU defense that apparently can't stop the run and has been kind of middling against the pass, too. They've straight up just really struggled against every FBS team they've faced this season. Um, you know they 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 they've had their be they had their best defensive game of the year against Texas, ironically enough. Uh, but they still gave up a million yards rushing to Bijan, to, to Bijan in that game and struggled to tackle him. And also, man, if Casey Thompson was 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 on with his accuracy down the field like he was against OU, he would have had three or four long touchdown passes against TCU. Also, like those were there against TCU. So I yeah I mean that's 
the the game that I really wanted to watch that I didn't see any of that I just went, it was was the SMU game and man SMU was kind of getting what they wanted I mean they SMU had seven point four yards per play in that game but I mean they they were moving the ball confidently and easily pretty much the entire game um Lee I'm going through just like you know in three of their four games against FBS teams. They've given up 8.2 yards per play against Cal, 7.4 against SMU. They gave up 7.2 yards per play against Texas Tech last week, and then it was it was 5.5 against Texas. Um, but yeah, I mean they've given up they've given up 350 yards against SMU on the ground, 272 on the ground against Texas, and then another 214 against Texas Tech, 309 through the air against against Cal. And they didn't even attempt that many passes. They give up explosive plays. They've they've struggled, like you said, not a lot of havoc whatsoever, which is weird for them. And for me, when I watch them, it's looking like they just they've really struggled to tackle in the back end of their defense, big time. Um, so I mean, if if Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks or even Caleb Williams, if they can get into in, into the third of that defense, man, and you have a head of steam behind you, they've proven that they really struggle to tackle guys. Um, so I mean, if like and it, that goes to the OU's offensive line, if they can block them up up front and just get them to the second level. TCU is going to struggle in this game, and we'll see. I'm sure Gary Patterson is going to have a whole lot of interesting things for Caleb Williams. But then again, maybe not. Maybe they're not able to because maybe his defense isn't very good, and there's not as much stuff that that he can do about it. And add the fact that historically against Gary Patterson, Lincoln Riley's offenses have done really well. Lincoln Riley has been able to scheme up a lot of stuff, and Gary Patterson's had a tough time against, uh, against Lincoln Riley. And now with we, we think is Caleb Williams, who in theory can do a little bit more or a lot more kind of than the traditional Spencer Rattler, more drop back game, which kind of goes back to more of what hurt Gary Patterson in the past with Kyler and Baker. And really the best TCU did against OU is probably against Jalen Hurts. I think that final score was like 28-24. And Jalen Hurts had a, you know, remember he turned it over, he had a pick six, I think down by the goal line. The goal and line, it was like a, over a hundred yard pick six. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so and that was late in the year, though, when, when Jalen just wasn't the same player as he was earlier in the year for Oklahoma. And that TCU uh, defense was good. I mean, they had okay. that TCU and, defense. Well, they usually had, are. <laughs> they, they had, I mean, they had draft picks in the, in the secondary in that game. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, TCU's defense is obviously going to present just a lot of opportunities for OU's offense, especially to keep it rolling with the running game. I, I really feel like, I, you know, I don't. Kari Coleman, to me, when I was watching him against Texas Tech, seemed to be pretty much only in in pass rushing situations. And you know, he he, he won a couple of times. He had the one sack, and I, I'm I'm not sure if they're if they're going to want him out there taking the blows in the run game. Uh, but maybe they don't have a choice. Maybe they don't have a choice. I don't know. So I yeah, I, I really look for OU to 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 lean on the run game for sure going forward. But I mean, also don't don't forget about the pass too, because man, I mean they'll they'll give up explosive plays in the passing game as well. Uh, like I said, even against Texas, Casey Thompson had guys there pretty consistently down the field, just missed them. Um, I don't know. You want to move over to their offense? Their offense, obviously, I'm a little yeah. more little more concerned about their offense. Yeah, I flipped the script to the offense. Get this: so Oklahoma's got to go back to back to back weeks. Deuce Vaughn, Bijan Robinson, and now Zach Evans, maybe the probably the three best running backs in the Big Twelve. Uh, no offense, Kennedy Brooks and Eric or Gray. I, Brees I mean, Hall. Oh, I'm sorry, Brees Hall. My, Bre- yeah, Brees Hall. I don't know. I, I mean, I have not watched Iowa State play one time this year. That's why I, I forgot about him. But yeah, Brees Hall is really good too. No, I I, I would uh, take those aforementioned three over Brees Hall at this point in time. But I, I I do think Brees Hall is really good. 
so yeah, I mean, another crazy test on the ground. TCU's offense has been really good. Uh, I mean, 33rd in the nation in yards per game, but I mean, yards per play, 6.8. That's top 20. That's better than Oklahoma so far this year. They're running the ball well, 236 rush yards per game. That's 15th in the country, 5.7 a carry. That's top 10. Uh, Texas, by the way, is uh, tied with them at 5.7. So we just saw Bijan, Zach Evans is the same kind of, I mean, uh, not the same kind of back, but an elite type college running back. Uh, so, I mean, and I like Max Duggan. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said he's kind of been up and down this year, but he's he's an electric athlete, man. I mean, he can get you on the ground with both his arm and his leg. So, yeah, I, I mean, Oklahoma, may, maybe the boost of Caleb Williams being out there because we think he's going to be starting. Hopefully that helps. Maybe getting a lead over a, a team and trying to separate, that can help out Oklahoma's defense. But also maybe Oklahoma's defense just kind of is what it is in the back end. And there's some guys in the TCU skill position players outside of Zach Evans. Zach, they can make some plays, right, Grant? Like they got some decent receivers, don't they? Yeah, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Quentin Johnston was kind of their big guy in the second half of last season. Uh, hasn't done as much this year. I mean, their their top three guys all pretty much have the exact same stat line. If you go look, um, you know, all of you 12, 14, 12 catches, two hundred five, one eighty, one seventy. Um, so yeah, I mean, but they're. They've been a little, it feels like they've been, when I've watched them, they've, they've felt a little kneecapped this year in the passing game. And at times, it's just felt like it's, it's been Duggan, just Duggan not being super sharp. Um, I, but, of course, you know, my cynical mind comes up. It's like, oh, well, OU's defense, perfect perfect get-right game for for Max Duggan yeah. in that sense. Look at, I'm encouraged, look at Michael you know, Pratt. Michael yeah, Pratt, Michael Pratt I think, man, look at, pretty I mean, bad this year. <laughs> I say, you know, look at uh, um, Duggan is... I, I'm encouraged by him not doing much with his legs last season. They were able to kind of contain him pretty well there. He wasn't able to run around very well. Um, I know Gary Patterson has come out and said that him and Evans are questionable for the game, which everyone knows is BS. But, I mean, are they banged up a little bit? Like, I mean, is it possible that they could be hobbled like a little? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And that's, yeah, I mean, and they've been tough to get big plays against as far as uh, negative plays they've only given up six sacks all year and that's a lot of that's got to be duggan his his escapability they his also mobility, i'm sure they haven't dropped back that many times this year though either um you go look he the most he's thrown the ball in a game this year is 31 times um and that was against cal i believe okay and they've only given up 20 tackles for loss which is ninth in the nation so very few tackles for loss allowed i think ou's given up like 34 or 35 or something like that so uh, yeah, that that's the game. I mean, if Oklahoma's defense can be steady, then Oklahoma should win this football game, right? Because the offense, man, like if the offense is what we think it is, and, and even if something weird happens and they got to go to Spencer Rattler because maybe Caleb Williams is struggling, Spencer Rattler with a chip on his shoulder should be able to come in and find a way to move the ball against his TCU defense that has struggled this year. It just it hasn't been a good defense. I mean, even like you said, Texas Tech last week was able to put up thirty one and. You know, over seven yards per play in a game where they got blown out. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a game where Oklahoma, my, my main concerns are what we talked about, that the distraction from the quarterback thing could be more than we think, and that could make it to where they're not prepared, and that Caleb Williams isn't quite ready for a game in which a uh, defense, a Gary Patterson defense, even though it's been bad, still can prepare against him, and it's only his, well, it'll be his first college start if, if he does get the start, which we think he will. Those are my concerns. At the same time, though, Oklahoma has found ways to win games, so it's uh, they're they're favored by thirteen and a half right now. That's too much. That's too much, given all of the uh, weirdness around it that we can't feel now. There, there's no way, you know, laying three three and a half against Texas. Okay, that's one thing. I'll I'll take Oklahoma laying double digits 
no, I, th- I think if I had to bet this game, I would definitely lean towards TCU plus the points. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just the. I mean, I I feel like if you're if you go, yeah, I mean, take OU. I mean, you're 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 just kind of going on emotion from the high of the Cotton Bowl. Um, and hey, that's what I hope happens. I I hope I if. If OU comes out in this game is really impressive and Caleb Williams is a big part of it and they just kind of run TCU off the field and they look like what we all sort of hope they would look like this year, then yeah, I, I think the hype train and this fan base for this team is, is going to start to really ramp up again, big time. Um, but I mean, I, I kind of feel like I know better than that up to this point. This team has showed us sort of what it what it is up to this point. I mean, it's they've all of their FBS games have been decided by a single score. Um this one, I, I think OU is going to win. I, I think, but it's at this point in time, me like confidently predicting that they're going to play really well and and cover. I, I just don't think that's very smart at this point in time. So, I mean, I think you're probably looking at something like 41, 31, 41, 34, uh, something like I, I would guess something like that, where TCU is 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 probably going to land some punches for sure. Um, and you hope you hope they can still move the ball with Caleb Williams. I really think there there's a good chance they will be able to. And I hope we just I just really hope we don't see Gabe Burkich as much as we did last week. Not yeah, not that well I don't said. love him. It's just I, I I just hope they don't give him the opportunity. Yeah, good good call. And for your gamblers out there, this TCU team, the offense is really good. It's it's maybe better than it has been in recent years. And they've had decent offenses, but this one's pretty explosive with some explosive players. And mixed with Oklahoma's defense being suspect at times in the secondary, this has perfect backdoor implications all over it. I mean, you got a team that's going to be playing until the final whistle. They can come through the back door, and even if Oklahoma has a little bit of a lead, TCU can come back and score and, and cover that spread. So I think that's a part of it as well. Yeah, and I mean, just you look at TCU's offensive numbers. They're clearly a team right now that wants to run the ball first and foremost. Um, oh, you just played a team like that, and they loaded the box to stop it, and Texas was really able to punish OU for you know for for putting corners on an island and and stuff like that and that stuff is likely gonna be there for tcu in this game um it's just gonna be it's gonna be all about right can can the defensive line win their one-on-ones and get to duggan tcu's numbers suggest that probably won't be able to do that very often in this game so um yeah really easy for me to envision them you know definitely breaking off some chunk plays just because they got some good offensive skill talent zach evans is really good one of the best running backs in the country again. So, um, <laughs> it's cra- it's so crazy how things change, how things change in the Big Twelve, and how it's just. I mean, this is this is an OU team, and if if they become their best self, they're probably going to be relying on the running game, for the most part. And it's, it's it's crazy how just the narrative and sort of how just the X's and O's in the conference shift to what mm-hmm. it was to like to to what it's been. But we'll see. Of course, now that I say that Williams will throw for like five hundred yards tomorrow night. That would be or tomorrow night, Saturday night. That would be so sweet. That would be so cool. I'm gonna be there. I'll just be just screaming my butt off. Just ah! Another going to another game. All right. Do you have time to talk Big Twelve and national, or do you got to go? Yeah, I gotta go. I got uh, I gotta be somewhere at six thirty. Somewhere that's like five minutes away. I gotta be there at six thirty. All right. So do you want to talk about this stuff, or do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. No. Let's uh, let's keep going. I'm I'm on a roll. All right, so Big 12 this week. We're going to save the biggest Big 12 game for picks. Interesting non-conference game. Number 19, BYU, is at Baylor. And look at this line, Grant. This is going to fall into our betting principle. Baylor is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home against ranked BYU. That, in, in the, there's been two games, I think, on this podcast where we've talked about how eh, you, you see the 
the home team who's unranked favored against the ranked team. You bet the home team. And I want to say it worked out with West Virginia and Virginia Tech earlier in the year. And there was another game. Maybe it was Oklahoma State. Maybe Oklahoma State against Kansas State. Yep, Oklahoma State home against Kansas State. And both times, the home team won and covered. And so this game falls right underneath it. Like, people are going to jump over BYU, right? Plus the six and a half ranked against Baylor. But this line's telling you, take the Bears. Take Baylor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I think that's got to be Baylor all day. I mean, BYU just... I mean, yeah, I think they lost to Boise State on Saturday. And, and so they, they kept turning the ball over and getting stopped in the red zone. Uh, that was Dusty's game last week, and he was like, man. I, I was like, Dusty, I looked up, and every time – because I had BYU minus the points in a different pick thing. And every time I looked up, BYU had the football near the goal line, and then like five minutes later I got distracted with work, and I looked up again, and BYU had the same amount of points. And I said, what? come on, man. And he said, yeah, they kept, they kept turning it over, and they kept getting stopped on fourth down. Like, yeah. But it could be a good bounce back spot for them. But, you know, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I, I think I would bet I would lean Baylor, but I don't know. I, that's probably not going to be a game that I'm going to be picking. Uh, Texas Tech at Kansas. Who cares? Uh, interesting matchup, though, in Manhattan, Grant. Iowa State, six-and-a-half-point road favorite at Kansas State. And I want to say both of these teams are coming off a bye. I don't know if they – no, did Iowa State play Kansas last week? I don't know. But I think Kansas uh, State was off last week. Yeah, Iowa State and K-State are both on a bye. We're both on a bye. They were both off a bye. Wait, wait, yeah, are you talking about Iowa State and K State? Yes. They did not play last week. Is what neither of those teams played last week. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So they're interesting. They're both coming off of a bye, playing each other, and that's just an interesting matchup. Kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see to see what Skylar Thompson looks like against Iowa State's defense. That's still good. Iowa State's got a good defense. And then what is Iowa State's offense going to be, which has struggled this year? Just kind of one of those games where like, I have no idea who I'd pick, but I'm curious to see how that plays out. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same with you. I, I want to see how that goes. I, I was really, really impressed with Skylar Thompson two two weeks ago. And so, I, I mean, I'll, he's got kind of another another week to maybe heal up a little bit more, and we'll we'll see. I Historically, Matt Campbell has struggled with Kansas State. Um, but usually it's because Kansas State kind of comes at you with sort of a pound, you know, pound you between the tackles running game and stuff like that which which Iowa State's flyover defense is not super adept at stopping uh but I I don't know I mean the Skylar Thompson we saw was they're trying to go empty and throwing it all over the place which it which kind of feels like would be more in Iowa State's wheelhouse so we'll see yeah this is definitely kind of a I this is like a marker game for sure for both of these teams to see kind of where they're at I feel like right if, if K-State plays them well and it's a close game I think we can we can consider K-State Right, a, a pretty good team, a team that kind of belongs in at least the middle tier of the Big Twelve. I agree, and I'm just looking back at the historical numbers. I think this is year three for Chris Kleiman. I believe he started in 2019, and the last time they played at Kansas State in Manhattan, 2019, was Kleiman's first year, and K State won outright by 10. And a season ago, when they played in Ames, that was late in the season when I don't know what was going on with Kansas State. They were playing some bad football, and Iowa State embarrassed them, 45 to nothing. So you better believe that I will lean and take the six and a half for Kansas State at home, coming off a bye, thinking about how last year they got embarrassed by this Iowa State team with a little bit of confidence. Granted, I know Iowa State's coming off of a bye as well, and they're they're desperate. Iowa State can't – I mean, they got to win out because, I mean, their expectations have already been dashed this season. But, man, like, they're either going to go one of two ways, right? Like, they're going to go into the tank, and it's going to be what you said, Grant. They're going to be a seven and – more of a seven and five, eight and four type team, which historically is what Matt Campbell has been. 
or they're going to have to to figure it out and they got to go and they got to go and they can't lose the rest of the way. But I would I would definitely lean to grabbing those six and a half. Is that where you're at, too? That's yeah, I would lean K-State, but I, I mean, I I would probably pass that game. Um, honestly, sure. hey, I'm <laughs> I'm driving down to Oklahoma on Friday and I got to go. I got to go through Iowa, so I'm definitely planning on uh, stopping and uh, placing some bets because it's it's legal in Iowa. So maybe I'll maybe, maybe I'll have by to then, go with what's that? Maybe by then, uh, maybe by then it'll go up to K State plus seven. You'll get an extra half. Oh, point. and then and I, would, point, I would definitely be on K oh, yeah. State there for sure. Got got to hammer that. Got to hammer it at plus seven, especially if if Baylor goes up to plus. Baylor might go up. It might go up to seven. You know, people ha- hammering BYU. Oh, Ranked team getting or only uh oh no no Baylor my bad Baylor's uh Baylor's favored my bad uh heck if people are hammering BYU that would be bad because I think oh no no that would be good because then Baylor would go down to like six I think yeah man I sound like a moron for a second there all right national scene last week you and I were the were the same we were two and three so your hot streak was cooled off a bit uh, but for the year though you're eighteen and twelve so pretty good on the season I am a uh, eleven and nineteen not great. OSU is at Texas. OSU unbeaten. Texas obviously has lost a couple a couple of games now, but Texas is a five point favorite, and this is very close to that same home team favored against a ranked opponent. Principle. The only difference is that I, uh, Texas is barely ranked. Sorry, what? I don't know, man. Like I, yeah, you're right. I guess it's it's sort of close to that. I. I like, yeah, like Oklahoma. If, if Texas was unranked, I mean, like this would be one of those where you take Texas minus the five. But I guess yeah. I, I, you know what? What have we seen from Texas so far that suggests that they're that they're anything more than what we've seen really the last two years? Like I know they they really jumped on OU, but I mean they OU went to overtime with Texas last year, struggled, let Texas get back into the game the year before that. Uh, OU struggled to put away a five and seven Texas team in in two thousand and seventeen. Um, I Casey Thompson hasn't hasn't been that accurate down the field one. I mean, just once this season it was against it was against OU. Now he's going to go up against a better defense in a game in which there's going to be higher expectations just because of how well their offense played against OU. I like Oklahoma State to win this game outright. I kind of feel like people betting Texas in this game are foolish. Like, yeah, I get. I get betting Texas just because, again, this is very, very close to the principle. If Texas is unranked and they're a five-point favorite against number 12 OSU, that line tells you to take Texas. They think Texas is that much better than you know Oklahoma State. But I'm going to base off of history. You got Oklahoma State, who's played really well against Texas in Austin. I think the last couple of times, though, I want to say, gosh, I know they lost. Was that it's 2021 right now? They lost in Austin, I think, in 2019. And that was Spencer Sanders's, I think, first year. So I guess the last time they played in Austin, they lost. But uh, they have had actually success before that in Austin. Plus, Oklahoma State's coming off of a bye, catching five points. And Mike Gundy as an underdog, I like him a lot more as an underdog than I do as, as a favorite. I just So I, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Mike Gundy going against a, a defense that just had a whole bunch of holes poked in him. Um, like you, you know that he's going to know how to attack that defense. I really do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like Oklahoma State. And, you know, hey, if, if, if Texas kind of goes on a run here and they show that you know, they're – then sure. I mean, I'll, I'll correct sort of my, my thinking on them. But I, I'm still expecting Texas to be Texas this year. I, like, I mean, they're going to be 9-3, and 8-4. and four. So, yeah. All right. Number 10, Michigan State. Four-and-a-half-point favorites at Indiana. 
I don't know a whole lot about these teams. I'm not really sure what this line is telling us other than Vegas is not really sure about this one. I don't know if Indiana is any good. This is a straight up, you know, this is me just lean. Eh. You know what? I think I would lean to Indiana just because they're a four and a half point home favorite. And I like Tom Allen, but I, I'm not confident. This is definitely just a lean for the podcast. What do you think? I'll just go the opposite direction just because I, I have no idea. I It's a it's a funky line to me. I think my betting logic would, would say to lean Indiana here. But I followed that same logic last week with Michigan State and Rutgers. Um, yeah, and we maybe, both missed on Rutgers. I think maybe a lot I'm of Sharps not, missed on Rutgers. Yeah, maybe I'm not giving Michigan State enough credit. I didn't realize how, you know, how, how good their numbers are on offense. Um, they're, they're pretty explosive offense. So... Man, jeez. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go with Michigan State just because I, I, I don't think Indiana's very good. That, that's mostly the handicap. Uh, next one, number one, Georgia's at home again. And, you know, we were both – I mean, you had a good handicap on the Auburn game last week, and Georgia just beat them down. I mean, this Georgia team, even with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, they're, they're, they're getting it done. They're dominating teams. Now they're home against number 11, Kentucky, who is like – super sneakily undefeated uh, Kentucky but Georgia's laying 23 points and this is a line that's telling you take Georgia because they're telling you it's the same thing as the Arkansas game a couple weeks ago I mean they're just that much better take the team that's that much better so I'm gonna if I mean this is a tough one to bet but I'm gonna lean to Georgia even though it's a lot of points to swallow yeah I'm gonna be there too with you um and this is I mean this is I mean I can I feel like I can I can handicap and come with a come up with a good explanation for why Kentucky could cover in this game. Uh both of these teams are are like near the very bottom in all of college football in possessions per game. Um they uh they're uh they're very near the bottom in in snaps per whatever. They they take a long time to snap the ball. They use a lot of the play clock both of these teams. They're both number. They're both defensive teams for the most part, and so it's like if Kentucky is going to cover, you sort of like that more in a shortened game, which this likely is going to be. But I, I mean, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not confident at all that Kentucky's going to be able to score a point in this game. I, I don't. And right, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's can they score? Because it's a good handicap. You look at the total, the over under for this game. Even though Georgia's laying twenty three, the total is forty four and a half. I mean, that is a low total for a college game that's got a 23-point spread. So, yeah, yeah and that's tough. I, right now, yeah. Georgia, uh, it's just – they are. I mean, their, their defense is utterly dominant, and the, it's, it kind of sucks because it looks – I mean, it's what, what can break down an utterly, utterly, utterly dominant in the quarter with really good wide receivers can. And I, I'm just – I'm looking at throughout college football right now, and there's – 2021 there's not a lot of great passing teams right now in in college football um we haven't talked about alabama yet but i mean bryce young has just been fine this year um i know like ole miss throws the ball well but they struggled against alabama ohio state throws the ball extremely well um but there's just something about them that seems a little off as well so uh, it's it's interesting i don't know this this may be the perfect year for georgia to just be to you know, Georgia is like is Georgia is, is 2011 LSU. I mean, that's that's who they are. It's like it's a throwback. Like their their running game is just is pretty decent. Is pretty decent. Can get the job done, especially with like a lot of body blows and a lot of possession or in a lot of plays run. But it's just their 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 bread is butter with their defense. I mean, it's just a dominant defense that can score. A defense that can, that can score too. Like I mean, it's 
So we'll see. I mean, we, we know what happened to that 2011 LSU team, but who knows what happened to Georgia. This next game is pretty interesting. Ole Miss, number 13 Ole Miss, is laying two and a half on the road at Tennessee. And Josh Heupel's team is coming off two two wins, two SEC wins, but not against the greatest competition. They've beaten Missouri. They routed Missouri, so good on them. That was at in Columbia. And then they beat Shane Beamer's team by 25 last week in Knoxville. And now they're back at home against an Ole Miss team uh, catching two and a half. Ole Miss, crazy game against Arkansas last week. I mean, this line is is pretty interesting. I, I think if – what would this line have been, Grant, two weeks ago? It would have been Ole Miss minus two touchdowns probably. So I think you're getting a lot of value here on Ole Miss only laying two and a half. So I think I would go towards the Rebels. I kind of want to go the other way, though. Tennessee's offense has been really good this year. Um, and I think I – think, I'm assuming Vegas is kind of scared away with – ah, but ten, I, I don't know. I don't want to bet Josh Heupel there – Yikes. I mean, I think their offense has been really good just the last two games kind of right now. I mean, I it's, it's been it's I, I saw them earlier. It's been, in the it's year been good, and, like outside uh, of the Florida game, I think. I mean, they they lost to Pitt, but I think uh, they put yeah. up a lot of points and yards against Pitt. And yeah, that's true. I mean, like, I mean, their their offense is, is better than it has been in the last decade already just with one season with Heupel. But um, I don't know. Actually, yeah. give me. I guess they figured something out with with Hendon Hooker. Give me Tennessee. Maybe maybe what Vegas is saying is that they they trust Tennessee in this situation. Their offense again. I mean, Ole Miss just gave up. I mean, a million yards and and points to Arkansas, and Arkansas can run the ball. I know Tennessee can run the ball. That's kind of been their thing. And so maybe I don't know. Tennessee being at home, it's a night game. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's an interesting game for sure. Yeah, and the last thing I have here is just. I was going through. There wasn't a whole lot of great games this week, but this one just kind of stood out to me. It's two unranked teams. UCLA, who we talked a lot about early in the season, both you and I kind of thought they were maybe a kind of a under-the-radar good good Pac-12 team. And they, they've been good. They've been good. The, they're at Washington, and Washington's been bad this year. They're 2-3, and three, but Washington's a short home favorite, minus 1.5. That's a weird line to me because UCLA, I think, has probably been a better team this year. Yet they're getting they're getting a point and a half at Washington. So my question is, why? What is going on? I don't think on? UCLA is good. Uh, I think I think UCLA might be two and three. I think UCLA is good. They I lost thought. to Fresno State. They lost to Arizona State. UCLA is four and two. They played. Who did they lose to? Yeah, Fresno and okay, Arizona State, so, two pretty good okay, teams. So I mean, so they're out. fine. Yeah. Has Washington kind of recovered a bit? I, mean, I guess I haven't. Great podcasting. I know. Come on, internet load. So, you know, Washington lost their first two games. Then they beat Arkansas State, who was terrible. Who <laughs> is We were watching Arkansas State the other day because I had a, two, a dumb bet on them. Uh, they beat Cal, who I guess uh, TCU beat Cal, yeah, right? Yeah, TCU beat Cal by two. And then they lost home. to... Okay, and then uh, they lost to Oregon State, who I guess is decent this year, and that was, I think, a couple weeks ago. I think that was, they're coming off a bye, maybe. Let me check that out. I know this is a great podcast. Well, I just, yeah, they, like, so, so Washington's coming off a bye. I, this is it's a, weird a weird line. line. I think UCLA's I better I feel like, team. yeah, a weird line, and it's like you're, because, right, it's weird because you expect UCLA to be favored, but it's actually the home team that's a short favorite, right? Betting principles say to go with Washington here, right, a lot of the time? Yeah, I think so. 
man, but I just think UCLA is better. It's another road game, and they played at Arizona last week, so back-to-back road games for UCLA. Maybe maybe there's some historical stuff here. Maybe Washington and Jimmy Lake has done well against Chip Kelly's team. I don't, I just, we just don't know. I don't – you know, I'm just going to go with what I think. This is not going to – I'm, I'm going to go go against the book on this one. I'm going to say UCLA, and I just don't understand this. Usually if you don't understand a line, you're not supposed to bet it. You're supposed to just be like, eh, all right, like I don't get it, so stay away. But this is a fun thing for the podcast. I'm going to go UCLA, and then we'll see what and happens. I'll go, I'll go with Washington just because I, I do kind of want to stay by the book there. All right, do you want to brag a little bit at all before you got to go about Alabama getting upset by Texas A&M? Oh, I mean, I don't know how much I can brag when I I wouldn't even commit to actually saying it would happen. I just, although I will say, like, I was listening to a bunch of podcasts driving home last Sunday, national ones, and on multiple ones, like, so even on the the Stu Mandel and Bruce Feldman one, uh, the Andy Stables' podcast, they were, they were meant... They mentioned multiple times that nobody saw that coming. That like nobody who was talking saw that coming. And I was just like, hey, I, I did. I know. Like I'm, a, I'm a nobody, obviously, and nobody listens to this. But relatively speaking, <laughs> but I was like, I, I saw it coming. Like it was, it was, it was going off in my head as something that that could happen. Um, and it's because it, like I, part of it was emotional, and part of it was kind of that narrative I thought was funny with you know. A&M beating Alabama in the year they've already lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State. Like, that's hysterically funny. And then, um, also, Alabama has been overrated by the media this year. They they went totally, they got totally ahead of themselves after the Ole Miss game going like, oh, it's it's Georgia and Alabama and everyone else. Like, again, like, what else is new? When, I mean, all you have to do is listen to Nick Saban and he would tell you that he didn't really like his team that much. <laughs> like... I mean, it's yeah. No, it's a good point. I gotta give you credit. You've been, you've been kind of feeling it this year. You've been had a nice pulse of college football so far, and you're. I mean, there is there is uh, evidence that you were feeling something about that game. I had I had heard zero people say, "Hey, I could I could see A and M winning this game," or you know, keeping even keeping it close. I mean, I was looking at the line; it was like seventeen and a half, I think, and I was like, "Ah, A and M didn't have their main quarterback. It's what Calzada like it's." It's the whole thing with Texas A&M, too. It's just like I'm not a big Aggie guy. And, like, I know Jimbo's a good coach. But it's like, yeah, there's no way I would I – just, I, so I stayed away. I stayed away from that game. I was like, yeah, I don't – and I wish – like, if anything, I was going to go on A&M because of what you said. I was like, yeah, I could, I could see A&M just because Grant said something. He's kind of feeling it. And I was like, yeah, at the last second, I was like, no, I'm going to go with some other game because it's still it's, – it's A&M with, like, a backup quarterback. And, boy, it was uh, – uh, CBS got exactly what they wanted from their one primetime game of the year. That was perfect, right? I mean, they got a the best team in the nation, number one, and a massive upset in primetime, and the TV ratings were great for it. But good call. Good call on the, uh, near, uh, the, the near upset that turned into a real upset. Yeah, and I, honestly, I didn't even really see much of that. I didn't watch much of that game at all. When I got, when I got back to Oklahoma on Saturday night, I was... I rewatched the OU game um, and didn't really see much. I haven't seen a single second, not a single screenshot, not a single anything from the Penn State and Iowa game. Uh, that's which it sounded like on my part that was a good handicap all the way up until Clifford got hurt, mm. and then and then once Clifford got hurt, that was kind of floodgates for Iowa. It sounds yeah, good like. for Iowa though. I mean, I heard it was a really cool atmosphere. It was the biggest game they've had at that stadium in like forty years, if not longer. So good for them. I bet that was cool. Like the atmosphere there probably wasn't quite the same as uh, OU Texas, but at the same time, though, you could tell. I bet Iowa people would say, "Oh no, it was better." But it's it's different. They're different atmospheres, obviously. 
OU v. Iowa, <laughs> Cotton Bowl, Dallas, college football playoff, semifinals. I am, we are speaking Man, it into I, existence I can't here on West of Everest. Was that last week you said that? And then this happens and Iowa, oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I was ranked number two. Okay, let's get to the... They have like, and they have, uh, I saw on, on Pro Football Focus, they have the number five easiest schedule wow. remaining in the regular season so far. I think the best team they play from here on out is, is Wisconsin. Oh. Wisconsin wow. or Minnesota. Okay. Or Nebraska. They, they play Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nebraska, I think, are the three best teams they uh, play. I think Nebraska's the, the, the best of those three. <laughs> I think the Huskers are the best one of those three. Probably. Probably. All right, yeah. I know you got to get out of here. Uh, that's all we have. Uh, enjoy the game this upcoming week. It'll be it'll be interesting one. I mean, we all kind of think it's gonna be Caleb Williams, but we'll see. It could be a dramatic night. I will be there. It sounds like you will be there as well in Norman on Saturday. All right, I'll be there. Well, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show, and if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review, and also. Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.